0: Welcome to the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. I'm Ken Ming. And I'm Jared Watkins. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about how to get away from the home office and still... code, get stuff done. Are you interested in helping build the best
1: DevOps and site reliability engineering talent, mentoring others? We are. Consider sponsoring the Practical Operations Podcast. Contact us at sponsor at operations.fm for details.
0: So at this point, we're, what, a little over a year into everybody in the world is working from home, right? Yeah. And in our field, especially, people are either abandoning the idea of going back to the traditional office or abandoning their plans to go back to traditional office in the near term. Um, Several large tech companies have recently pushed back their return to office dates and others are saying we will, we will give employees basically an, an indefinite chance and to I work from home. And I think folks have realized at this point now,
1: that even though the traditional thought was we need people in the office to be productive, folks have realized that people are just as productive at home, in their home office, and we can tap talent from all over the world rather than just the pool that can drive into the office.
2: Yeah, my employer was five days work in the office. They had no work from home option and then of course it went all work from home and they've discovered hey this didn't go so bad and office space is really expensive in downtown Amsterdam maybe we don't need to bring everybody back in and we can reduce our footprint so the word is we're gonna have less than five days in the office but there's been no official decision
0: so this brought up the question in our internal Slack and trying to kind of reason about this, which I think is important, how a lot of us now, especially in the tech world, have set up home offices, dedicated spaces, that all we do in the, that space is we work. But frequently that space is away from the rest of the family. And a lot of us, including myself, put their personal computers in their workspace as well. So how do you tend to that that digital itch, to that, that need to do something interesting when you're not doing work and you don't want to walk away from the family. Because I don't really want to code on my cell phone.
1: (laughs) Come on, Jack. Or update my blog from my cell phone. I mean, come on. It's like using the internet with tweezers. Mm,
2: I I will admit I refuse to do that as well. And uh, I've settled on, I used to buy MacBook Pros and I would beef them up. And over time, I've discovered I don't use squat worth of resources on the machine on the laptop itself. I spend all my time SSH'd or with a remote connection of some kind to something else big and beefy, and I just don't need local resources. Um, and my last refresh was an, an Air, a MacBook Air, and honestly, now if I had to do it again, I'd even go with a iPad Pro and a keyboard. Or something even smaller. And lighter, Interesting. Because I just don't need the local resources like I used to.
1: And part of my thinking about this is I don't need the local resources when I'm, you know, hanging out with the family or when the kid's going to bed. If I can just SSH get to my machine in my office space uh, to check email or work on some code yep. or hack on the blog um, without really having to leave the house. So I, I actually did
3: just that. I Last year, yeah, was it last year? might have even been a little before that. I got an iPad Pro, uh, and then when they released the, the Magic Keyboard, I got that, uh, uh, begrudging, begrudgingly, uh, for the cost. Um, but that is what have I have been using for my personal device. Um, and then I already have a Linux box that's fairly beefy because it runs ZFS and VMs and things like that, so uh what i do is i just use uh an application on uh the ipad called blink which allows me to ssh or it's basically an ssh client but the reason i like blink is that it also has a shell when you first launch it that has a couple of other open source uh tools like like ping and uh things like that so you can actually like oh is this host down let me try to ping it from my ipad and not have to actually ssh into something to then ping it um but then so then, I actually just terminal in to my server that's local to the house and do everything from there. Uh, the benefit is that obviously, like my home directories in ZFS, so I can do snapshots and things like that. Um, it also means that I have a pretty powerful machine to be able to run anything that I'm going to do, whether I'm compiling Go code or uh developing uh or you know using a database or things like that. Those are all the can com- those are all things that could be ran inside of a, a Docker container or a VM. And it's been fairly nice. Uh now obviously I'm at the mercy of iPad OS. Uh it is not there yet in terms of being a a replacement for Mac OS. Uh, I really had high hopes for iOS 15 to real or Mac OS 15 to really allow a lot of multiple or or really change the uh the paradigm of how you can run multiple apps at one time and that hasn't happened yet unfortunately uh but uh my terminal stays open there's a most of these terminals and there's there's several that are available for ios they usually use uh Um, a background they usually use uh, location settings to allow themselves to stay open in the background for a long time Uh, so I don't actually have issues with you know dropped connections Uh, Now, obviously if I leave my iPad idle for 15 20 30 minutes and not go to that app it will background itself but otherwise the terminal stays open I I do have a habit of using tmux so that way it doesn't my session doesn't drop or if my ssh session drops I don't lose anything in my terminal uh, the only, or one of the big things I really do miss is iTerm on the Mac has the ability to natively integrate with Tmux, so that if you do, you know, open a new, t- uh, new terminal window in, t- in iTerm, it actually opens up a new terminal in within Tmux on your remote session. I would love that functionality on the iPad, but obviously, uh, it's just not there yet. So. Uh, overall, I really do like it because I get the portability and the long battery life of an iPad with the powerfulness of a of a Linux you machine have a keyboard underneath. With that? And that can obviously be. I do, yeah. I have the Magic Keyboard, so it's a keyboard and mouse. Uh, and luckily, you know, a few years back, iPad uh, iPad OS added support to keyboard and mouse. It shares iPad OS shares a very n- the very similar amount of keyboard shortcuts that the Mac has. Um, so you know, for me, my, my, uh, key memory is the same. Um, so I really like it. Um, although with the new M1 book, uh, with the new, you know, M1 airs and MacBooks and the, and the amount of battery life you're getting out of those, I don't know if it's worth it to go with an iPad pro, uh, versus just getting an M1, M1 MacBook, uh, or M1 air, uh, and just, you know, skimp on the resources there and just, then you can use iTerm2 with Tmux integration and still do all the things on it. Something I'm
1: doing. that's had keyboard support since it was envisioned ground up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly.
3: I mean, I I have to say though, I mean, iPad, su- I mean, the keyboard support on iPad
0: OS is very good and the mouse support. So I have a friend who is a, he, he used to like, have laptops and stuff, the personal laptops so we carry and do stuff with. But he has very much moved over to his iPad Pro and the Magic Keyboard as well. He thinks it's, a, it's an incredible solution. When he wants to use it as a drawing tablet or to watch video on, it's fine. But he wants to get work done, he can definitely get work done. And he has a, a GUI remote a remote GUI client of some variety, can't remember what it's called, um, to log into his work computer if he needs to. So he can get to quote-unquote real applications that way. I have never liked laptops though. I'm one of those people who's always, always hated the idea of using a tiny,
2: low-powered, battery-driven. Brendan,
1: you're not the only one.
2: No, I I, I refuse to work on a laptop day in day out. I can't. It's not worth. Just yeah.
0: So it. my my solution is I have a thin client that I bought for sixty bucks on eBay, and that's after adding more RAM to it and an SSD or a bigger SSD to it. And I thought it personally use it as a thin client. And then I realized that i3 is so lightweight that I can just use it directly. I don't need to like remote to something else and it's fine for lightweight use. So I don't have a permanent home for it yet. That is the other thing. But once I have a permanent home for it, that'll be my kind of workstation away from my more powerful desktop. And again, with the magic of the network and the magic of home folders and those kind of things I can get to all of my same stuff anywhere I go in the house, essentially. Without having to deal with the horribleness of using a laptop. Laptops really are horrible.
3: Yeah, but I mean, they they are nice to be able to take with you when you need to go places. I mean, and you go places? In the before time, yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yes, in the the before time. (laughs) But I mean, my only, uh, there was a time where I, or one of the previous jobs I had, where I had a laptop and a desktop and I tried to do them both. The only problem was I used the desktop so often and then if I needed to travel for work I would use the laptop and then my laptop was so far behind either you know the in terms of git history or uh you know, I did do, do dot files but unfortunately I wouldn't be uh, studious enough to remember to commit and push those changes up so I would have different aliases or different settings between them and it would just end up sh- making me upset so I just would I, as much as I don't like having very beefy laptop but just I I would have to do that out of sheer uh you know need of just having one machine but now with going to hopefully using a remote machine like something in the cloud or a server or whatever like you Brendan the laptop becomes a thin client and it doesn't matter it's just a way to connect
0: yeah and like the um, google has a chrome remote desktop um plugin functionality thing that you can install on a windows mac or linux host and then from any Chrome browser that you're logged into, you can get a reasonably performant GUI remote, remote, like full screen audio supported, all that kind of stuff session. And that mostly works. I've got some issues with i3 not wanting to pass the, per- the proper virtual display stuff over. But once I have that sorted out, it'll be basically done. How's the font rending with that? Honestly, it's great. Interesting. The whole thing is really, really good. But what I... My real desire, my the thing I actually would like to have happen is Apple to let you get a, an iPad mini as a phone. Like, not doing FaceTime audio, not doing everything, really, but actually like receive real phone calls. I want a really, really big phone. Because <laughs> I have huge pockets, and I don't want to carry a laptop, and I don't want to carry an iPad Pro. I just want something bigger than the biggest phone you can buy... I can treat as a phone.
1: Well, just like Americans and their SUVs, we're all buying bigger and bigger phones.
2: <laughs> yeah, We'll get there eventually. Now, see. What I would like is the phone small, but powerful enough and docks where you can, Oh, I'm going to use it as a laptop. You stick it in the side of a keyboard with a screen and it, now it's, now it lights up the key, the screen and uses the keyboard well, and okay. you can use that way. Or you drop it in a dock and with your big screen and your keyboard and mouse like a desktop and it dry, it becomes your single source. But you okay, so if, it if we're
0: wish casting instead of actually thinking about things that exist right now, <laughs> I want my watch to be my internet connectivity to whatever device I happen to have around. So I have a phone, I have yeah. a laptop, I have an iPad, I have whatever, and my watch is my authentication to Apple services. My watch is my internet connection. My watch is all those things, and everything just hotspots off the watch. Now. Again, wish casting because batteries and technology and thermals don't actually work that way yet. But I'll stick with
1: my mechanical watch. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, Ken, that uh, I have
3: seen—I don't know how many times I've seen different uh, products that promise. I mean, what was it? Wasn't that a promise of one of the Ubuntu phones, like you could use it as a phone and then you could plug it into this little dock, and it would—and I would love for that to happen. I just—I just don't know if it ever will, unfortunately.
2: I mean, the original one, the big players can't make enough money by selling you one device when they can sell you three. And there's also technical hurdles there of driving big screens with a you know, a, the horsepower of a phone. Probably not. There.
0: Even on smaller scales. When Apple first released the iPod, one of the things that they had talked about was using an iPod as a remote home directory. So you plug it into a computer and it has your user account, the files on it, but it also had the authentication pieces. So you could plug it into kind of any random computer, and then it becomes your computer, sort of. And it didn't really work that well. It wasn't fast enough. There's all kinds of things that blocked it from actually becoming a real used feature. But that idea has been around forever of like, you you carry this magical authentication token that turns whatever device around you is into
2: your device. And I'd love that future. It just doesn't exist yet. Now, when we talk about being able to be portable, one job I used at work, I had a Mac, and I used, because of the nature of the work, a VM run in Linux as pretty much full screen all the time. That's what I worked in. And the disk image from that VM was on a fast USB drive. And when I would work from home, I'd, I'd shut the thing, shut that VM down. I'd pull the USB drive off. I'd take it home, plug it on my Linux desktop at home, fire up that same VM and continue to work with essentially my work system. Just take it with. Doesn't me on a
0: doesn't thumb drive. AWS have some kind of like virtual desktop feature thing, light sale, or some horribly named product that essentially gives you a workstation in the cloud that you can connect to?
2: Yep. Yes, because we use it. Because, because isn't it Windows only? Um. Uh, yeah. It is Windows only, um, and I think it's works. I, 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 I may be wrong, but... Yeah, is that's that's what
0: Light sale is their VPS competitor. Ah, okay. Because yeah. I, I would love to have that kind of thing offered at a reasonable price that, you know, you pay for the hours you run it. Well, that's not workspaces. Not a reasonable oh, price. again, like... <laughs> but how often? Like, most of the time that we in this profession are using personal computers is actually relatively low. We're usually logged into a work machine during the work day, and then the other chunk of time you're yeah. either asleep yeah. or you're dealing with household things or you're dealing with like, you know, the physical world outside your house, going to the grocery store or whatever. So if you're only running a personal machine, say 10 or 15 hours a week, even if it's not cheap, cheap, it doesn't have to be like, the the bar isn't quite as low as you'd think in terms of making it a viable alternative to paying money for a dedicated workstation of your own.
2: Well, when you think about what a lot of us tend to do for our personal Machines, in the sense that I don't know about you guys, but mine's easy. yeah, my desktop, my my personal desktop. Yeah, the amount of money I sunk into that buys a lot of workspace this time.
1: Yeah, that's even what's occurred to me recently work. is now is GCE or EC2 VMs aren't cheap, but for the amount of money I pour into building a Linux workstation for my personal use, um, you know, just do yep. that over you know, per month instead of all at once, that still buys a lot of
2: compute time. Living in an old, old area of a small European town, I have DSL only, and even that slow DSL. So that hinders me using cloud services for a lot of things. I And workspaces would never work. I can't. I very much admit
1: I am nervous about not having my personal machine under
2: my control. And then there's that. Yeah. And
3: for me, it's the network cost. I would love to move my server to a cloud, but I would need a some form of network connection back to my house so that I can, I, I do things with like HomeKit and things like that. And I, I do actually run a Prometheus server that monitors various things. And I would want to be able to monitor things inside my network. So obviously a, v, uh, a VPN is the logical thing. And I would love to just use the native VPN functionality of, different cloud providers, but you not only have to then pay for the amount of hours, which would essentially be 24 hours uh, that you use the VPN connection, but then, you then then have to pay for the bytes or the data that goes across them. And when you add it up, it's like 30 to
0: $40 a month just to have it running. And that's not even the cost of the VM. You're doing a quick survey of the AWS workspaces pricing page um, without doing any, any kind of clever way to, to cut your, your bill it looks like you could have a pretty reasonable machine for 40 bucks a month, 50 bucks a month. Like, it's not terribly expensive to have a WorkSpaces machine running.
1: No. And thinking about 40 bucks a month, um, you know, when I build a new workstation, my budget is going to be around uh, 2,000 bucks for a workstation for my personal use
0: that runs Linux. That's like 50 months of, of a $40 payment. Yeah, and if you run it on a thin client instead of running it on a beefy machine locally, again you can you can save money. But it's it's interesting. It still doesn't get you around the whole laptop thing.
2: I think what's really interesting is the number of choices. <laughs> well, we one of the choices on. I've been considering yeah, There's a lot of ways to do or it.
0: the same
1: thing is is I've got the same problem. I only have a cell phone other than what's in my office. I need to figure out something to do. And I keep being tempted by uh, a Chromebook because they're really inexpensive, simple machines. My kid uses one, um, but for the longest time, they've been kind of, you know, surf the web, check your email, play a game type of machines. They haven't really allowed SSH and some of the more developer-like features that that I use every day. And so that's always blocked my Really blocked me from following the Chromebooks because it's just not a useful enough machine, but I think that's different now
2: I was
0: you can boot them
2: I was very impressed with the Chromebook hardware when the kids yeah. were forced into school from home, and we had to buy them one I mean two hundred bucks and and I was playing with it as I was getting everything set up for them going man, i could this would be awesome if I could use it
0: if I had that when I was in college. Well, also, like, the Chromebooks do support the Linux developer whatever modes. You can get a shell open. You can install Java. You can do, like, systemy things on them. And that's the beauty part. On even the inexpensive Chromebooks.
1: Is Google has really made a really impressive development environment available that is Linux. It's Debian. Uh, with their Crustini, uh, I think it's still in beta. But you enable Linux in advanced settings... And the thing downloads a VM and sets up some LXD containers in the VM. And you literally have a terminal app that you pop open and it pops you up a shell inside that LXD container. And there you are in a safe container, allowed to run untrusted code, do your own development. And, you know, USB devices work, sharing files back and forth between Chrome OS works. Uh, you're checking out the web app, your development, it just works. And I've been really curious about trying that as sort of, is that the best of both worlds of, I just want a laptop that kind of works versus I also want to poke at some code and run them, you know, sometimes and
0: update my blog occasionally. Yeah. My big problem with the kids Chromebooks from the, the, the forest virtual school stuff was the keyboards are terrible on the Chromebooks that we got. Um, I'm particular about keyboards, unfortunately. Aren't we all? And I don't really want to like, but I don't really want to like carry yeah. a big mechanical keyboard around with the laptop. I want something that is good enough. And for all the things that I hate about laptops, Apple's laptops have a pretty reasonable keyboard. Now that they fixed it recently, it's not great, but it's reasonable. It's, it's usable at least, but, most there you go. that's that's the adjective that it, you need. But usable. most laptops, the keyboards are freaking awful. They're just terrible. Reviews tell
1: me the Google Pixelbook Go, which is their um, current Chromebook line, actually has really good keyboards. But still,
0: hmm. those
1: are the Intel uh, Chromebooks. And they're actually on the pricier side, so you're talking like six hundred, seven
0: hundred bucks, oof.
1: Oof, which is still a lot cheaper
0: than an old-fashioned laptop. But you can get an M- M1, M1 MacBook Air for a thousand dollars, for the entry level. You start getting you know, into that configuration, configuration. Fine line and, of... and then suddenly you're you're spending two grand on a laptop because you added one more thing and one more thing and one more thing, and now you've defeated the purpose of having. Well,
1: it's an M1. You're supposed to spend two grand on a laptop. They don't issue the laptops without you know, down payment. <laughs> Come on, Brendan.
0: <laughs> Apple tax. I wish that was the lie that it was in the early 2000s, but it's very much not a <laughs> lie anymore.
1: <laughs> and yeah, I like the idea of anyway. of the M1 MacBooks and some of the MacBook Air stuff, but I've, I've never really been in the Apple
0: ecosystem a lot, when I wasn't forced to, and the stuff's just expensive. Well, my wife recently got an M1 MacBook Air because she had a, a 2012 MacBook Air that was getting to its, the end of its useful its usable lifetime because it was so old and so slow and the battery was so wretched. And until Apple releases the next generation of these things, this is one of the fastest computers Apple has ever made. And I want to say our out-the-door price was like 1150 bucks, And that thing is a demon. It is an absolute crazy fast. Like it it's it's hard to even describe how quick the thing is. She, of course, uses it, like, for school. If she needs something that has a little bit of horsepower to it. So that's totally cool. But
1: The M1s are impressive. Even I will give Apple that. And that's part of the thing about <laughs> the Linux support on the Chromebooks. And Chromebooks are in this weird space where the, the more powerful ones are Intel, cheaper, slower ones are ARM. And I'm... And before I researched for for this episode, I really thought I would figure out that the Chromebook ARM versions were sort of taking over and pushing out the Intels, but that
0: really doesn't seem to be the case at this point. Google's flagship Chromebooks are all Intel. So Apple has put the last decade plus into developing their own ARM system on a chips, their own whatever extensions to the, to the ISA, all these things to make fair chips better and faster. Yeah,
1: they have. They've. Put the most work into it.
0: Google announced, what, last week, two weeks ago, something like that, their their new Tensor SoC, which is taking a lot of their machine learning smarts and adding it locally on the chip to their their line of whatever. And I think they've announced this coming out in the fall sometime. I don't know all the details, obviously, because this is just public you know news releases. I'll, I'll throw one in the show notes. But Google may be on the cusp of actually getting some better performance out of these, these Chromebooks and things if they're... If their chip bet pays off. I
1: expect that that would be the game plan. I mean, the arms are so much cheaper. The battery life is so much Mm. better. And we're talking about embedded devices. Remember that Intel CPUs have always been designed for what today we consider as a server high-end space. And so carrying one of those around in your backpack in your phone has always had technical challenges and been
0: horrible with power consumption.
2: The age of the x86 has sunsetted.
0: Yeah, my, like, if you think about Intel laptops, a really good battery life in an Intel laptop was like three and a half hours. That was, like, amazing. My wife's M1 laptop easily gets 12 hours on a Like
1: while you're doing things.
0: Easily. Yeah, like when you're using it. Not, Not while it's just sitting there idle, but like when you're using it to do stuff, it Easily gets 12 hours. Yeah, but it did is she insane. use something like Teams or uh, Slack on there? No, she actually doesn't. She uses Chrome, she uses Safari, she uses the Microsoft Office suite, those kinds of things. Um, does some image editing. Yeah, if
2: I, if I fire if I fire up Teams on my, my uh, Dell XPS running Linux, my battery life is about 15, 20 I, minutes.
3: I have heard even on the M1s that if you put Teams on there, it destroys the well, battery Well, clearly
1: life. the message here is don't use Teams. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I am less familiar with uh, some of the tablet and light computing devices that Microsoft has has chucked out there of the re- of recent years.
0: They've also added a lot of Linux developer support to some of those devices. I am so fundamentally disinterested in Windows as an as an operating system <laughs> that i i somewhat i yeah. seminarily summon, dismiss Microsoft hardware, even though I know that their hardware has been getting better and better and better over the years and people really like the quality and the price and the build and all that. Like, people say it's really good. I just can't stand. I'm of that but you're age
2: where I
1: am turned off by the whole Windows affair of the 90s. And it's hard for me to look at the customer can you at that run, company like, in a new light.
2: Some but of the, the surfaces, surfaces you awesome. can get Linux on. You can get Linux on there As the main OS. Because I looked into this for a while. Because that becomes interesting. But the models you got to choose are the upper ones. And at the time when I was looking at them, it was not 100% hardware compatibility. There was always something that wasn't working. Well, like the Chromebooks. Isn't there uh, a
1: Bash shell you can just open on a modern Surface? I mean, there's the Linux mode or
0: whatever in Windows, but you're still running Windows. Yeah,
2: but... Right. You're still going to deal with Oh, I've decided to apply these updates and reboot. We'll see you in a few minutes.
0: Hey, my Mac does that.
1: I know so little about that ecosystem.
2: But la- last time I looked, you could get Linux on some of the surfaces as the main OS. Um, but you would deal with limitations.
0: Yeah, for my money right now, if I were if I had to buy a laptop tomorrow, I would probably be looking at the the Pixelbook, whatever Google's like um, flagship Chromebook thing is because the Chrome OS idea seems to be the one that ha- that me that meets my requirements the closest. Be lightweight, get out of the way, give me a browser that I can use to get to other things.
2: But I don't know. I, I if I had to do it right now, it would be an M1 Air. Just <laughs> you know, you know, audio's <laughs> going to work. <laughs> so about
0: <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. That's yeah. And I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like that's honestly a huge reason to spend the extra money because the drivers actually fricking work all the time.
2: Yeah. As my, my work machine is a XPS with Linux and the number of, Oh, hold on guys. I don't have audio or it's using the wrong input. I can't seem to convince it to switch or, Oh, should I fired up teams and damn it. Everything crashed. Oh, teams. It's audio in Linux is just a... I want to jump in front of a bus. It's the worst. It's absolutely the worst. But it still isn't enough to make me install Windows on this thing. (laughs) What would it take to roll your own
0: AWS workspace environment? I mean, is it simply just running an instance in GCP or AWS or Azure that has video card in it? I mean, what is the this has to be really interested now.
2: I mean, well, Workspace with a capital W is a AWS product that is Windows. Okay. Um, but and Google Workspace, I mean, there's nothing stopping you
0: from... Is a is yeah, a product that they sell that is about G Suite, not about
2: virtual desktops. I mean, right. there's nothing
1: right. stopping you from running a, a VNCX server.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you could run your own Linux... VM of whatever distro you wanted, and run a and run it with VNC. And hell, you could set security group rules so that you could only get into it from your destinations. Or and you're then buying, you're just paying egress on the network. And what we you're off to the races, I guess.
1: Okay. And again, I'm oh, of a certain I mean. age where <laughs> if I'm using a remote machine, I usually already assume that I'm going to be dealing with the interface that the laptop or local machine is giving me while I SSH in or VNC connect to the preferred machine that has my data and where I'm going to do my work from.
2: Yeah. I mean, honestly, it would almost make as much sense to tunnel if you're thinking that and not even worry about the actual GUI environment and just, you know, you're like, it's, you use your thin client like a Chromebook where all it is is display But it is running the browser, and all the data is flowing through. But
0: I want to have more than three tabs open, so I need like 64 gigs of RAM, right? That's one thing that gets me about Chromebooks is 8 gig of RAM,
1: 16 if you get the high-end models. I'm like, if I don't have 32, I'm feeling a little questionable. Yeah, I I agree. And can we talk a minute about ECC RAM? Oh, Jared. I am sure that Amazon or Google, when their cloud products use the equivalent to ECC RAM.
3: Oh,
0: I'm sure. I'm talking about laptops. I mean, why isn't the standard at this? And point? blame Intel for that one. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> it it was another way for them to price umbrella and to suck more money out of customers. So that is true. By not, by not making the chips that's widely available and widely installed, and having it be an optional extra, nobody took that route and then production on ECC RAM modules didn't come up high enough to make it worthwhile and then again this is why
1: most hobbyists like us if we're building a machine locally most of us are building AMD machines they perform better they support ECC RAM
3: well right now we are I mean I remember when the core do it when you know the core stuff came out from Intel everybody was building that
0: and the the, the generation before that was Athlon it was back and forth I'm honestly looking forward to the day that somebody, possibly Google, releases an ARM SoC style desktop computer that actually yes. has slots and is not just a tiny little like net top or whatever. Because they're so much more power efficient. They're so much quieter. They definitely have the raw performance and the bandwidth and all those things you need. But the standard, like the Raspberry Pi 4, as awesome as it is, just doesn't have enough oomph to it to make it work give me
1: a desktop machine i can put 128 gig of ram in and a powerful arm cpu and whatever custom cards i want to attach to it so it can attach to my high-speed network
0: and enough io to do high-speed disk access then
1: you really have pushed intel completely out of the market
2: there you go talking about wish casting
3: damn yeah exactly because i was about to say that's (laughs) that's my problem with a lot of these is that yeah because you you can get even that are not necessarily paused but it can i'm sure can rattle off a number of them that support sata and all this stuff but a lot of them yep don't actually support or are not fast enough
2: yeah they almost all of them the backplanes just have such limited bandwidth that even you know even if they claim to support you know a six gig sata connection you're you're not gonna see that for one drive and only for bursts. Yeah,
0: And then keep in mind that my thin client that I've, I've talked to on the show before a couple times, and I mentioned this episode earlier, has two m M2 SSD slots on it, has a four core x86 um, 64 you know, CPU on it, has an integrated graphics card, has gigabit ethernet, has Wi-Fi, has sound, has Bluetooth, has all these things on it. And I got it used that with the upgrade to the SSD and the RAM was 80 bucks. Like you cannot compete with that. So you're
1: going to sell practical operations podcast branded thin clients now, aren't you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, not even (laughs) close. I don't, I don't have the time or attention for that at all, but it's pretty cool what you can do with old hardware.
1: Once again, we're back to the age old question to thin client or not to thin client.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to, I play, I play online poker and the clients are very strict on a lot of things because of, Keeping people from cheating, I have to have a, a mainline OS on some somewhat controlled hardware. I'm gonna. That's where I'm going. I'm gonna run Mac OS.
1: And really, a lot of the content providers are moving in that direction as well. Um, like the fact Netflix uses FreeBSD to, as part of their content distribution network, but you can't actually play the content on FreeBSD that doesn't have the whatever the copy of protection is
0: wild vine or silver fight or whatever the Yeah.
2: Yep.
3: And that was one of the reasons why I chose what I went with a, a mean I mean, an iPad pro instead of going, doing something like that, because I wanted to be able to, one of the other big things was being able to consume media. And obviously I can do that very easily with an iPad pro. Or a so,
1: Chromebook.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I guess you can't on the Chromebook. So I guess my, my issue with doing the, the iPad Pro and the Magic Keyboard is an iPad Pro entry price is, what, $800 and the keyboard's another two or $300? Yeah. You're looking so, at, with tax and and delivery and everything else, you're looking at your twelve dollars $1,300 to, to start out. I mean, if you already have some of the pieces, it's it's a little bit different. Right. But a loaded
2: Chromebook is
1: $1,000.
0: Right.
2: So, I don't know. An M1 Air is... The same
3: yeah. exactly yeah if, if i was yeah put up
0: against the wall, I'd, I'd choose the m1 over the the m1 air over the chromebook but but there, there is a certain utility to having the ipad because it's not just a laptop you can turn it into a media tablet you can turn it into a passive consumption device you can do other things with it right
3: and
2: because I, I, I have to be honest i also have an ipad
3: I, another thing is so is you can use it I mean, again, this is going to be after a few years from now, I guess, when you travel on an airplane, you can use the iPad
0: Pro the whole time. Oh, that's right. Because it's not a laptop. Exactly. Even though it's it's just as big as a laptop. And just as powerful and just just as large as battery and wireless networking and everything else. Yep. But the FAA has not decided that it is worthy of those regulations.
3: So starting you know from beginning to end of the flight, you can pull your iPad out and just use it the whole time, whereas other people have to sit there and wait until after whatever to be able to pull their, iP- their, their laptops out. So that was a, another big reason for me because before I bought this, I was traveling a lot and I was like, oh, I, I at least want to be able to spend a little more time either watching a movie or doing
2: something
1: on, online
2: or whatever. There is something to be said for having a single device that you can use in multiple ways as opposed to buying multiple
1: devices yep, yep and that's part of the part of the thought experiment what i carry around with me to satisfy my computing needs while i have a full you know workstation set up in my dedicated
0: home office space i think you sold me i'm gonna buy a whole bunch of thin clients <laughs> <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode please share it with your friends and coworkers. We would also appreciate folks taking the time to rate the show on Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. Additionally, welcome feedback about shows you've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm or send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf.
1: I'm Jack Neely.
0: I'm Ken Mink. And I'm Jared Watkins. Thanks, and good night.
2: PCC memory fixes everything. Oh. <laughs>